Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I just thought I'd jump on and give you a little introduction to this week's episode. So this week we talked with Ross Garner of Emerald Works, who is a real expert in the learning space. Um, He's been an instructional designer for many years. He's now head of learning experience and he's got a wealth of experience. And not least that, he's also the host of the Good Practice podcast, which you may have come across which has been running for an incredible four years and is full of great information if you're interested in learning, performance and the workplace. So um, I was really honoured that he joined us on the podcast this week. He's great fun, he's great laugh and I hope that you will get lots out of this and be able to go along with the rapport. Uh, I wanted to jump on and apologise, however, in advance of setting the episode live with you. I found it virtually impossible to edit because... Uh, There was a level of banter between us. Uh, We really enjoyed each other's company. However, I wouldn't say it was my best interviewing experience ever. So uh, I dare say as listeners, you may have heard worse, but uh, I felt I was full of cold and was frankly a bit giddy. So apologies in advance if it's less than coherent here and there. I do hope still you'll get some real value out of the podcast because Ross has so much value to bring. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. Um, I feel in awe today as I've got such an experienced podcaster with me. Um, I'm delighted that I've got Ross Garner, who's Head of Learning Experience from Emerald Works. And many of you who listen to this may be familiar with him as the host of the super long running Good Practice podcast. (laughs) So four years, that makes me feel like a complete... um, you know, infiltrate, I guess. Um, welcome, Ross. Thanks for coming on. Do you want to just tell the audience if anyone hasn't come across the Good, Good Practice podcast? Obviously, introduce yourself and just tell them a bit about that podcast too, because they might enjoy it. Yeah, sure. Thanks for uh, inviting me on your show, Lucinda. Obviously, you are a, a chart-topping show, which we have never achieved. So I'm the one that's in awe. <laughs> uh, we, we, we started uh, about four years ago, almost four and a half, May, May 2016, uh, basically, uh, at what was then Good Practice, the company that's now Emerald Works, there was a small subset of people who were really into podcasts and thought it sounded quite easy to produce one because all you really need to do is have a conversation with someone and uh, record it and then slap some music on it and uh, jobs are good in. Uh, so May 2016, we gathered around the table, we recorded the conversation, we uh, edited it a little bit, put a theme song on it, put it on the internet, and we panicked and thought, oh, no, now we need to do another one next week. We foolishly committed to doing a podcast every week. Um, that was quite a lot of stress. You know, it took ages, it took eight hours, I think, to edit the first episode. We didn't know what we were doing. It sounds terrible. It's still online. You can go and listen. I'm the first voice you hear. And it's 
incredibly amateurish. And then over the past sort of four and a half years, we've done, I think, 220 episodes. So we've done one every week since then. We take a little break for Christmas. Uh, and the, the kind of focus of it, which we've come to after about six months to get to this point, I think probably, is work performance and learning. Work so we're interested in, yeah. So how is work changing? Uh, how can we help people perform at work? Uh, what role does learning play? And then that's kind of broad enough to bring in anything that we want to talk about. But a really nice opportunity to find people who are experts in their field and ask them kind of invasive personal questions about their, their job and their experience and learn from them. So it's been the ideal CPD for me as well the whole time. I get to speak to the likes of you. It does force you to learn, doesn't it? And I think the reason it's relevant for listeners, if you're wondering why we're chatting about this, is the whole focus of this episode is really about learning. How do we help people learn? And um, obviously what you do as a, for a job, Ross, um, other than your podcast, uh, which mm. is just a small part of it, is, is all about designing learning and um, and being ahead of learning, I guess, in terms of that's your your role, really. I mean, what as head of learning yeah. experience, what do you do at Emerald Works? Yeah, so uh, my job title used to be instructional designer, so I would make e-learning courses. And when I started sort of, sort of seven years ago, something like that, it was typically hour-long e-learning courses uh, with a lot of instruction in there. There's been a shift, I think, away from that. No one really at work has an hour to dedicate to anything, let alone like an e-learning resource. Um, so we've started to create content, I guess, that normally takes around five to 15 minutes to complete. There might be playlists of content, so it's not like you don't have... Uh, still a, a, a great depth and breadth of stuff getting produced. It's just broken up into a way that's a lot more user-friendly that works with the flow of work. And the transition to the title learning experience rather than instructional design reflects that um, we're not necessarily caring if anyone learns anything anymore. Um, you know, we might want them to uh, develop an interest in something, or we might want to give them a resource that helps them do their job. Don't care if they remember it or not, they can refer to that resource every single time. Um, and so instruction is less important, uh, learning experience more so. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense, but I was, I'm going to have to ask follow-up questions on that as someone whose background was in training. Um, so what you're saying is it doesn't matter if people learn stuff anymore, or they, as long as they have a good experience. It, it depends, right? So um, we'll be, let's say objective setting, for example, that's like a task that managers have to do with their direct reports all the time. Okay, do they need to learn how to set objectives? Probably helps if they know it, but when they approach that task, which they might do on like an annual basis, um, it'd be really useful if there were some resources that they could look at that would help them do that. So maybe some like, what does a good objective look like? Or some questions you could ask to get their direct reports to um, reflect on what they've done last year and what they might want to do next year. They don't necessarily need to learn and remember these things. They can refer to it when it comes around. And that's that's true of everything. Yeah. Um, Okay, it's not about the experience, it's about the, it's having the right information when you need it in order to have a better output. So I can see that that's more yeah. output related in principle. If you can access the information and do a better job, then that will support your outputs as long as you access the information, as opposed to I could go through and pass the test of what a smart, what smart stands for, um, yeah. but it doesn't mean I'll write a better objective or work. Yeah, know, exactly. So have you actually learned anything doing that test? Mm. Right. Of, of maybe you have learned it and are you going to remember it in a year's time when you have to do it again kind of seems unlikely on the experiential side uh, if you look at something like health and safety training like people always find this really boring and they don't really care um so but it is important 
you do want people to behave differently and to take certain steps to protect themselves and others. Uh, so the experience side is how can we create an experience? And in my job, it's a digital experience to make people care about it. So one option might be to set their building on fire. Now, suddenly health and safety seems really important to them, but that's like a dramatic approach. Um, so another way you could do it might be to like do an interview with someone who has uh, been in that situation. They could talk about how they felt going through that, the actions they did, mistakes that were made that could have been prevented. And that's a kind of like a kind of experience and an emotional experience, really, that's going to resonate with people and make them think, oh, this thing I didn't care about a minute ago. Actually, I do need to pay more attention and I do need to maybe think about this in my day to day work. So it's almost it's a slightly more subtle approach to getting people to want to take that information on. And actually, I'll, I'd like to go on to that in a moment, actually, about how we get people to want to learn. Because um, that was one of the questions, I don't know, a few months ago, doesn't it? I've asked you and other people in a similar field, David James on a, a podcast about a year ago, um, so this whole thing about e-learning, old school, you know, e-learning versus learning experience or e-learning platforms, learning management systems versus learning experience mm. platforms. I think maybe from what you've described there, it does sound like maybe I understand a bit more the subtleties of the difference there. But would you explain that? Because I think it's some, for people who are listening to this, quite a lot of them are not going to be learning experts. And a lot of them are yeah. maybe an HR person who's standalone and has also got this as part of their people hat. Um what is the difference and and yeah how what would you how would you advise there uh so it might be useful to talk about maybe the way that we would approach a typical project and how we can end up at the output that we're talking about and whether it's going to be a learning output or not so oftentimes like uh, a client will come to us and they'll say we've got this slide deck this is particularly the case now that covid's going on uh we used to do this as a stand-up session or this is a policy document uh and it's you know runs to 30 pages long we want people to uh to know this so can we turn that into some sort of e-learning course um, so what they really mean they, is do more than read it, basically, or prove they've read it, right? Uh, I guess that's what they mean. I, there's a there's a notion, and I think if you don't work in learning, it's quite a common notion that if you tell people stuff, they'll remember it in whatever format that might be. And that's, that's not really true. Um, you might remember bits of it. You'll probably remember the bits that you're particularly interested in or are relevant to your job role, but a lot of it is going to go right over your head. So the way that we start is always to say, um, let's set that material to the side for a moment. And what is it that you want to achieve? What's the, the problem that you're trying to solve? Or what is the thing that people aren't doing that you want them to do? Okay, once we've defined that, what's the way that we could... Yeah, exactly. What's the way that we could address that? So people don't care about this thing. How can we um, pitch it in such a way or create some sort of media or something that encourages them to care by building empathy or connecting it to their circumstance or making them see the relevance of it to their job. Um, or if they don't actually need to learn it at all, uh, what resources can we build that are going to help them do their job? So like, for example, we did a course with some uh, salespeople. They had to nominate clients that they could take to a workshop to talk about products. And they were, uh, in this case, consistently bringing the wrong people. So the wrong client or it wasn't the decision maker or so on. Um, so we could have done some training on how you do that, but instead we made like a like a wizard kind of thing, uh, like a workflow. So you would go through and, and ask uh, answer questions on screen. And at the end of it, it would spit out, here's the ideal person that you should bring to this workshop based on your answers. Um, that's not something they need to learn. They can use that every time they need to bring someone to the workshop. So that was a repeatable, um, yeah, a repeatable way of, 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 of supporting that. It's so a yeah, tool. So you don't, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So 
So going back to the sort of learning experience thing, so with these learning experience platforms, is this is this the same as curation? So what you were saying earlier about you were gathering mm -hmm. people information, is it is it about enabling people to have the information available should they choose to use it, of course? Um, it feels like it's a little bit less paternalistic than perhaps our old way of you must do this and get the tick um, to have completed that e-learning. Is that the idea? Yeah, it, to an extent. So I, I have mixed feelings about learning experience platforms and also about curation. Uh, so <laughs> learning These experience These are just platform. words I pick out, so you by all means enlighten me. <laughs> I think the learning experience platform is a great idea. Uh, it's a response to learning management systems. So learning management system is a tool for an admin to administer uh, training content, basically, either digital content or face-to-face -face workshops or so on. But it tends to be designed with the admin in mind. So how can I make it easy for the admin to do this? Uh, often at the expense of the end user, who in this case is the learner. So a learning experience platform takes it from the other side and says, what if we put uh, the users at the heart of this? How could we create a platform that's really going to help connect users with the content that they need. Um, and the admin side is a bit of a secondary consideration. Um, I think what happens in practice is that there's no clear split. There are learning management systems that actually have a really good learner experience. And there's LXPs that actually have a really good admin experience. And one of the difficulties I think that the LXPs have seen is uh, clients still have compliance and regulatory needs and they want to track learning. And once you need to do that, you kind of need to get into the LMS space. And so LXPs are kind of turning back into LMSs slightly. So, so that's one side of it. That probably confuses everyone completely. Well, some of it's um, <laughs> marketing then, but yeah, but people do need- It is kind of vote. marketing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you could get a good LMS, you could get a good LXP. There's, there's examples of good in both sides. And then on curation, I think that's sometimes seen as, wouldn't it be cheaper if we just curated some resources and we don't need to make anything from scratch? Uh, Sure, that is cheaper as long as you can find it. Um, and I think if you're going to say to someone, could you spend five minutes finding 30 resources on difficult conversations? Um, right, that's not like uh, going to be an effective way to do it. You yeah. really need to spend a bit of time to find resources that are actually going to be useful for the people that you're trying to support. Because you, you just get a like lot a, of quantity. It's not necessarily yeah. quality, don't you? Anyone, anyone, well, Google, you could argue, is a curation tool. It's just whether or not you know, you yeah. know what you need to go and find to... Google's probably the curation tool that a lot of people are using. But yeah. uh, so it, de it, it depends, um, you know, how can you best support the people in your organization so that they can perform more effectively? So, yeah, so I get that. So that that assumes, and going back maybe to the paternalistic thing, being, being a bit cynical, I mean, certainly with e-learning and things like that, the reality is people, that, that sort of stuff, a lot of the time they will do that because they have to. So it's a compliance-driven requirement. They'll go yeah. through something, you need to be able to track it. Um, I'm not sure that they wake up in the morning and think, yeah, I want to learn about the conduct rules or whatever, um, the health and safety. But um, so that's a necessary, that's a necessary requirement. Lots of people think they want to learn, but finding the time to learn. So it's almost I'm thinking, so if you create, doesn't matter how much lovely stuff you've created and you've invested in a, an LXP or a learning management platform and lots of lovely e-learning, um, how do how do you, or or resources whatever the other term what do you call the term what do you call learn what do you call what you're doing if it's not curated content then if it's not oh, so we don't curate it? content because most of what we're doing is created from scratch and it's normally targets a uh, um, really specific need so that's where it goes back to the uh, the needs analysis so what's the problem that you're trying to solve 
if there's not something you can find on Google, then we're probably creating something from scratch. So, I mean, it, it might be a course. Um, digital learning experience, some clients call it that because they don't want to use the word e-learning. Um, okay. Infographics, videos, whatever it could be. Okay, so it's, it's a variety of content, some of which might be e-learning. But the point is, how do you get people to actually want to do it or do it? You know, you might even think, I might think, oh, I really do want to learn, but finding the time to do it. Have you got any advice for how people can make that happen? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, people people do want to learn. I think, I mean, you made that point yourself. They, they are, people always say, oh, I want to learn at work. I just don't have the time for it. So you don't really need to worry about the motivation of people wanting to learn because I think the motivation is there. Um, it's just that they've got other pressures that are getting in the way. So, I mean, one way to do it is if you look at like um, the Decky and Ryan, I'll, I could give you some like show notes that you can add for uh, the kind of relevant papers here, but extrinsic motivation, you can reward people or punish them for learning. Um, that's not, yeah. I think, the most effective approach uh, because they're not trying to learn for its own sake. So it makes it difficult to learn if all you're actually wanting to do is uh, click the buttons in the order required to get the the little bonus or whatever it might be, um, or to avoid some form of punishment. Um, but people are intrinsically motivated uh, to learn all the time. And the Decky and Ryan paper I'll share with you is uh, self-determination theory. This is not a new idea, but basically people were motivated by uh, the need for competence, autonomy, and relatedness. So they want to be good at their job. Uh, they want to be able to perform it without any help if possible. Uh, and they want to be able to do what others can do. That's the relatedness side of it. So how can we create stuff that helps people uh, do their jobs better and, and make it easier for them to do things? Um, so like, and ask your, the people that you work with, what are the challenges that they face? And um, how could we help you overcome that? What, what's, what is the, um, who's the person that knows all the answers and constantly gets asked loads of questions? Um, that person's probably got a good idea about the stuff that people need to do their job better. Another thing that we've seen one of our clients does this is they have a page on their intranet for the learning and development team. Uh, there's like a form you can fill in with your learning need. But above that, they've got like their top 10 most requested things okay. uh, with links to relevant resources. Um, so before you ask us, have you looked at all this other stuff that we've created for that other people have asked and that they've found valuable? So that's like the solving problems bit. Yeah. Um, for the stuff that you were talking about, how can we make people learn something that they don't care about? Uh, I like the Nick Shackleton Jones book, uh, How People Learn. Um, he talks about his effective context theory. Now, Nick gets some criticism because this hasn't really been tested, but I think it's a useful way of thinking about it. Um, and that's the how do we make people care? So how can we connect with people on an emotional level to make them care about the thing that we want them to learn? Okay. I could keep going, but I've got you to talk for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I used to work with Nick Jackson Jones. I have to go and have to check out that book. That's an sounds like an interesting context. So, how do you actually um, get people to want to, to care about it? Which makes sense. The stuff you care about or are interested in, the emotional connection is going to um, motivate you more. So, uh, I can see that the, the and the time. I think we put the time thing to, to one place. So, so really, so the linking though maybe to what people want to achieve. You said the sort of the the expectancy theory and the self-determination and, and a lot of that links to engagement so what I was thinking about yeah. so actually where people are engaged then um, there's potentially here therefore a link between learning and engagement and actually that would be sensible because the questions one of the questions in the Gallup 12 is about am I learning and growing so um, but this concept that you're actually 
feeding the autonomy, feeding people's ability to be autonomous makes sense, doesn't it? So you'll give if you can give people this information, they can then do it. They can be more autonomous. It feels like that should be particularly relevant now as well, because we are all having to work yeah. remotely. Um, and I suppose, does that mean right now that it's more important than ever to have this? This, I, I mean, it's probably a no-brainer question, isn't it? Are, are you seeing that people are more keen to have um, online learning and, and stuff like that as a result of lockdown and we're going into another lockdown? Do you see that there's a shift in the market? Yeah, we've seen some spikes in the usage of our products. So um, starting at the start of lockdown, we saw spikes in content around well-being. Um, I think people just generally found it stressful. I think we'll find it again. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're recording this. It's the Friday of the US election. I certainly feel a degree of stress. Um, and, and so there's the, uh, we've definitely seen that reflected. Um, during the Black Lives Matter uh, resurgent, um, a lot of our content on diversity. diversity and inclusion was yeah. visited. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, people, people see these things happening in the news and around them. And, uh, you know, they're hungry to learn about these issues. Um, so then the question is just how can we make it easy for, for them to take action on that motivation? So like, I mean, this is an HR audience, right? So yes. um, if, does your organization uh, permit people to ask questions? Like, is it okay for someone to say, I don't know the answer to this? Um, now, that partly that's like the way that people relate to one another, but another way that you can uh, create that impression uh, is to constantly be pushing out learning materials. Um, and to link to learning materials wherever it's useful. So you, you um, this is another uh, reference I'll give you, uh, Nudge by Thaler mm -hmm. and Sunstein. So this is Nudge Thaler. How can you make it easy for people to do the right thing? Um, and that's where I'm talking about earlier on with like, if you've got like an objective setting uh, month, can you provide resources to people so that they can do that better? Which doesn't just help them do it. It also creates the, uh, a culture where you expect people to need help you're not just saying to people, go and do this. And we expect you to already know this. By providing resources that support that, you're saying, we need you to do this, but we don't expect you to be totally proficient right at the get-go. So it's okay if you need help. And then you can get into like social learning and communities of practice and these kind of things that can help. But from the Emerald Works point of view, we tend to look at resources because that's what we do. That's an interesting one, actually, with things like objective setting and stuff like that, which actually everyone kind of knows smart let's say but actually the ability to write a quality objective more people can't do it than can and so how, how yeah. do you actually make it yet they might feel that it's too difficult to ask for help um, or they shouldn't ask it too embarrassing to ask for help because they should know because they know what the acronym stands for right yeah so yeah. so that's an interesting switch so making it safe to this is something we always need to hone we always need to practice um and you would expect to want to check that with somebody. It can always be improved. That's that kind of learning. Is that a growth mindset? We've avoided that term. We were going to talk about that before, but I guess it is that whole sort of thing. It's okay. It's not to fail. It's okay to um, to think it's about it's about growth and learning. Yeah, I think learning culture is like it's almost like an organizational growth mindset. It's like the way that we do things around here is that we're interested and we want to solve problems, which yeah. is generally how people go through life anyway. Um, that can just be stifled, I think, quite easily if the culture doesn't let you do it. It's not safe for you to ask a question because yeah. people will laugh at you or or snark or they'll criticize you or whatever it well, might be. Well, you get be. things wrong. You don't, it doesn't feel safe to, if, you, if you got something wrong and you made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that is a mistake. Is it something to be punished or is it something to learn from? Um, you know, hopefully you see it's something to be learned from. One of the things I wondered earlier, and I'm, uh, the, the link to 
how do you incentivize or how do you motivate people to get maybe they get this sort of intrinsic or extrinsic motivation is that where gamification fits in or is that just a jargon thing as well is it, is it making people have competitions I mean, if- no, no, I mean none of these things are like L&D is a jargon filled realm there's an awful lot of and often it's like the same stuff that gets branded with different words every couple of years gamification is like really effective in fact if you want to learn want learn how to develop any kind of learning experience like go and play any video game right now because the first few levels will increasingly get more and more difficult like all you have to do in the first uh, stage is walk forward and then task two is walk forward while swinging your sword and then task three is walk forward while swinging your sword and jumping um and you might unlock points for for doing this so like gamification is really effective it's a really good way to learn i think the problem comes when you uh don't give it any thought whatsoever so like bear in mind like a lot of these games are developed with like multi-million dollar budgets Mm. you're like one person coming up with like what are the game mechanics here if you're going to say like um i don't know if you access a resource you get fifty thousand points what does fifty thousand points mean i've got no idea is that more or less than other people so like if you have a leaderboard maybe you can um see how you compare with others that gives you a a kind of a bit of context for it um if there's some sort of rewards attached to it that could be cool that could encourage me to do stuff Mm. but maybe going back to the extrinsic motivation that's encouraging me to do the wrong thing because all it's encouraging me to do is to click on loads of links get lots of points uh and then i get a reward so i mean gamification yeah it is motivating is it motivating you to do the right thing? I think you have yeah. to think about it. And not going to get addicted because thinking there must be so if you have something, you get a badge for having done it. You see, you've done, you've done your training and that's nice. You get a little dopamine hit because you've achieved something. Um, that's all good, but it's not so good if people then that's all they do. I think when I did yeah. the um, webinar on learning culture, someone said that they had to have someone in their organization that it was so, so effective, the gamification, that all they were doing all week was learning which, which rather than doing their job so it's a little bit counterproductive so i guess you've got to have the uh, the balance in place i've heard that example as well um we were working with someone in the us they um they provided points uh, via uh they had an lms uh, an app version of their lms that um anyone could access outside of uh, work hours and they got points for doing it um but in the us in this sector you had to pay people if they worked outside of their hours so they had to turn it off Um, because it was getting too expensive that people were just chasing points all the time and were they actually learning anything this is I mean this is the reason that we do this stuff is to help people and do their jobs better not necessarily to have fun not necessarily but nice if you can do it along the way so yeah I suppose um moving forwards then in terms of for messages to HR and well, some of it is about how change, change, how learning has changed, but also maybe messages to HR who are non-L&D professionals that say that they haven't got lots of resource um, available to address learning, but they really want to encourage learning, proportionate learning um, in their organisations. <laughs> um, what would you? What are your recommendations to, to them? You've already talked about risk, which I think is make it safe. So culturally make it safe for people to make it mistakes and do your nudging there. Is there anything yeah. else that you'd recommend? Well, I'd, ex- I'd expand on the nudge side of it. Um, I would recommend everyone read Nudge because I think it's a, a great book and it's got a handy acronym of things that you should consider. But basically, just assume that all your learners are really busy and they don't have time for uh, anything extra and uh, they're lazy. And I don't mean lazy as a negative thing. I mean lazy as in, in all areas of life, people tend to do the easiest mm-hmm. thing. Um, 
So I mean, like the example is uh, like the design of a door. So if you're walking up to a door in Starbucks or something and you see a handle on it, you'll probably try and pull it and see when you pull it and it almost yanks your arm off because it's the handles on the wrong side of the door. That's a poorly designed door. But people have done the easy thing, which is going, I see a handle, I'm going to pull it. So what you want to have is a handle on the side that you pull and a flat panel on the side that you push. It's referred to it as a Norman door. This is like a 30-year-old concept. <laughs> um, but you design the door in a way that tells people what it is that they want to do. And I think it's the same with learning. Like, just assume like everything that you're doing is going to be sending a message to people uh, about the, the expectation that you have. And so how can you uh, design what you're doing in such a way that it encourages the right behavior? So for example, if you want people to create smart goals, I'll just go back to it because we keep talking yeah. about it. Why don't you have like, your smart goal um, form next to uh, a little checklist that has the acronym of it? Make it easy for them to do smart goals. Don't make it difficult by not giving any support. Um, if you want them to do their like health and safety training or whatever it is, and it's in an LMS, but you need to have a different password to the LMS that you might have to reset. And then once you get in, it's buried in a few different menus uh, and you have to click a box to open it. It pops up and then you have to click another box to open it again. Like every single one of those little bits of difficulty is an opportunity to put people off. Mm -hmm. So assume that people are lazy and will do the easiest thing. Can you just give them one link that opens the course? Uh, and then once they're in the course, can you uh, design it in such a way that it surprises them or delights them or makes them care about this thing. Creates some sort of emotional response so they don't assume they're coming in thinking it's going to be shit. Can I swear? Mm -hmm. I have, have to. to. <laughs> <laughs> so assume Sorry. that they're, they're coming in with really low expectations uh, and then um, counter those expectations with something that's really surprising and delightful. What would be an example of that that you could do as an L&D person? Because that sounds a bit about the design. Mm-hmm. Sure. I say select so, well-designed stuff. Yep. Uh, yeah. Pick, yeah. Don't necessarily go for the cheapest, like click next health and safety course that you can find. Uh, we've done stuff with, uh, we've done like animations, like storytelling. Um, we've done videos of people sharing their experiences. Um, I mean, you can even do it as, as text. You could just tell a text story uh, with some nice graphics um, that surprises people, but also relates what they're learning to their context again because people are lazy you make it easier for them to apply what they're learning don't make it seem like really abstract yeah that makes sense and I, I, actually i will give your your content a bit of a plug here because we've recently um partnered with with you guys in terms of making your emerald works provision available to um to people who want to use it through our platform but the reason i'm mentioning that is when i looked at it i thought it was very different from my perception of e-learning um it's kind of got right. this sort of pop imagery to it and it's a bit of a wow and it's got it was i was like wow e-learning has definitely come on from my perception of what it was like 25 years ago so so that is what you're saying is almost give people a bit of a surprise where they're expecting something that's where they're oh it wasn't as bad as i thought it was so so look at whatever <laughs> your provision is <laughs> no it's always going to be sorry just, that's what we were going for lucinda yeah. Not as i wasn't i didn't have any <laughs> any views about what your content was going to be like it was just more my perception <laughs> of e-learning from 25 years ago i thought it moved on yeah. a lot and this was quite paradigm shifting for me because it looks completely different may not appeal to everybody um in terms of you know maybe it's also about choosing the right having a range of styles because all de not all demographics would like the same style but certainly i i get where you're saying there it was it was had a bit of a, a, a it, it, it was less it wasn't what i was expecting in terms of your traditional content there. yeah and then once people are in you know people are generally 
curious and intrigued by things that are new or novel yeah um but i think it's worth bearing that in mind as well it's almost like if you can get that initial hook um and then encourage people to explore um then then you, you're just going to have a more engaged audience i, I mean the way that e-learning is traditionally designed runs counter to that which is you're not allowed to explore you have to go through in a linear fashion and there's a voiceover that reads everything on screen to you and you can read faster than the voiceover so within like 30 seconds you read the whole page you're just sitting there waiting for the voiceover to end like that's just that's what i was expecting yeah i remember that exactly (laughs) exactly that just crushes motivation we don't even trust you to read this we're going to read it to you we're going to make you suffer through it (laughs) um so yeah, yeah, respect respect your learners. Like make it easy for them and give them something that they're going to be intrigued by. Okay, that sounds good. And Brilliant. useful. Useful. Yeah, stuff. yeah, genuinely useful. Thing, I and I yeah. listen to your learners and, and maybe freshen it up. Do you recommend people you freshen, do you know, change the content or keep it stable? Is there do people tend to do that? Do they keep the same things coming through? It depends on the need, right? It's like oh, yeah, has good the point. problem changed. I'd be going back to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Brina would be really not impressed with that question I might edit it out (laughs) good point let's go back to the fact it does depend what you need which is what this is all about so it's not just learning for learning's sake it's actually about making sure that we've got the provision there for people but maybe in a different format to how they um, had it previously particularly with a remote you know a, a remote setup so old school classroom training is is really not going to be around I don't think for quite a long time so it is more about finding other ways doing it yeah i mean on, on your point like when we change things like some of our clients will have um they'll have a regulatory need to go through uh, some sort of learning content every year um the, the default is to make everyone go through the whole thing again um but one way that you can kind of adapt it in the second year maybe you have a, a like a an assessment a pre-assessment at the start and if people demonstrate that they they already know or can do all the things that you're going to cover uh, in whatever this content is maybe that's enough to credit them yeah um and you can uh, again it's about respecting learners yes um, treating people um, like adults really yeah exactly and moving away from the notion that if we just tell people stuff over a very long time in forensic detail they'll remember all of it because they won't they really won't well, okay. Well, I think that's probably a good point to end on, particularly seeing as we've managed to get a square word in this episode and you've pointed out to me <laughs> the real basics. So hopefully that will glean over, that will wash over people. Um, but as ever, Ross, it's always it's always great fun to have you um, on a podcast. I, it was great when I was lucky enough to come on your podcast. Um, thank you for doing, um, you, you refer, gave me some references there, didn't you, to people who might want to read further on this if you want to go into the actual sort of papers and evidence. So um, I'll put those in the show notes because you've kindly dug those out for us so i think i probably unless there's any final points have you got any final takeaways ross i've no it's lovely to speak to you and you i hope, it, you I hope so it was useful and not too rambling no i think i think you were useful i was rambling so i wouldn't worry too much about <laughs> it so brilliant thank you so much for coming on the hr uprising um podcast ross if people want to get hold of you um i know you're active on social media and things like that what's the best way for them to get hold of you uh, yep, you can tweet me at Ross Garner EW or you can email me at rgarner at emerald.com. That's brilliant. R-G-A-R-N-E-R. No, no, full stop. Brilliant. And we'll put those on the show notes as well. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Lucinda. Thanks,
Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 